For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to this episode of Believing Rizzies. Today, my guest is Candace Hagens. She's an up-and-coming freelance journalist. She's a Memphis native who covers the Memphis Grizzlies and the Seattle Seahawks. She co-hosts a, po- a Memphis Grizzlies podcast for Sports Ethos. How are you doing, Candace? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, can you tell my audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I grew up here here in Memphis and um, I sort of just, I, I've always been a sports person, um, been a sports girl, um, going back and forth between football and basketball. But uh, as I grew up, I just fell in love with the game. And about maybe three years ago, I got really into it just in terms of studying both basketball, both football. And um, I became interested in sort of, you know, podcasting, covering the teams that I'm a fan of and a team, a, a the, fan, the teams that I love. So um, I just kind of started it and, and it's sort of just growing. I'm really enjoying um, getting to know uh, people in the Grizzlies community as well as the Seahawks team. I cover the Seahawks community. Um, and, and yeah, I'm just sort of growing and learning along the way. So were, were, were you upset when Russell Wilson got traded? Oh, I don't even want to talk about it. I'm not in, the, I'm not in a good headspace. I'm not okay. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Okay, well, well, just, okay, we can just start talking about the Grizzlies then. I am so sorry, honey. I know, it it was a a hard loss for us all. We're still, I mean, as as a, a, I think the Seahawks community is still a a little broken, um, but we'll get through it. So anyway, the Grizzlies have been giving, keep sort of keeping me, uh, my spirits afloat. It sort of offset everything. Everything fell apart with Seahawks, and now that the Grizzlies are making a great run, so I guess it balances itself out. But that's it's a, it's a tough time in the NFL world for for me right now. So, uh, what about last night? Because I know that Grizzly game was an emotional roller coaster. Oh, that it was. <laughs> it it really was. It it was. I I still don't exactly. I went back and I did watch some film. I, I have some points on why I think that ultimately we're able to sort of pull out the win, but it was. I, I just can't believe that. I can't believe that we won. We were down by 26 points um, and pulled out that win. It, it's a testament to sort of the, the grit, the grind, the persistence that the team had, but and, and the depth, I think, because it, it none of our core three players, Job, Jaron, or Dylan, played well. Um, mm-hmm. And somehow we were still able to pull out the win, which is pretty impressive. But that, that goes to me, that goes to the resilience of the team we, we have right. seen it all year you know from this team right. I mean whether people in and out of the lineup due to COVID due to injury whatever they always have somebody to step up right and all it's a good season. point too all season yeah all season I, I think it was because of those moments 
and them being sort of accustomed to doing that, the in and out, the COVID protocols, all of that. I think if it wasn't for all those things all season that we couldn't have this moment here uh, last night when they win that game. So what So what? What are your thoughts on how, how they win? Because I'm still trying to process it because it was, it was unbelievable. But you it know, it's just like this Grizzly team, they have done like some unbelievable stuff this season and just right. it's just a record break breaking season i mean where does it end so what are, what, what are your points on why it happened and how it happened well so so one i'd like to say it's really interesting because i keep uh, you know i feel like i've said at least four or five times this season that this is the most impressive win in the year <laughs> it just <laughs> seems to kind of keep escalating itself so this is now the most impressive win of the year um for the fourth or fifth time but but anyway, the, the first quarter, the the Minnesota Timberwolves just came out with a bang. I don't know if it was sort of the energy or the mindset. I couldn't quite figure out what was going on with the Grizzlies. I think uh, the, the Timberwolves got us up on some bad matchups. I saw John on Cat sometimes. I saw Bane on Cat sometimes. I mean, they just kind of had their way, and that could just be mental lapses. It could just be them not paying attention, or it just could be an intentional effort by the Timberwolves or a combination of those things. Um, so that was part of it, and it took us a while to kind of settle down and get in our defensive rotations. And then uh, I don't even think we took good shots on offense to sort of counter that to dig ourselves in the hole um I, the first three possessions were three-pointers uh and they were all missed or some some of them even contested three-pointers that weren't good looks that we got and part of that was because the Timberwolves did play exceptional defense in that first quarter they really did they came out with all the energy I think that environment of um just that stadium it was sold out uh, they hadn't had playoff basketball since 2018 if I'm not mistaken there and you could just feel it um from the crowd and I don't I don't know if that shook the, the, the squad or not, but we just couldn't make a shot. Um, the, the offense was pretty much non-existent. I think they made the decision to sort of initiate the offense through Pat Bev, which put uh, job more, you know, he had, he had to put in a lot more defensive effort. Right. And that sort of, I don't know if it took away energy from his offense, but he started making bad decisions. And I don't know if it just threw him that he had to sort of take on a bigger role defensively or what but that plan worked at least to start and I think what was impressive to me was the the Grizzlies ability to sort of in the second quarter tamper down get and lock down on defense back and a lot of times we've seen all season this team struggle with you know if they're if they're office isn't there the defense sort of lacks it was a trend that we saw just up and down you know the defensive Mm -hmm. effort not being there because the lack of offense was there but in this case they were able the lack of offense was still there but they were mature enough to be able to still lock in on defense to keep themselves in the game and they only allowed 12 points in that second quarter um I think that even though they still couldn't get anything going on offense I think that sort of it, it did it allowed them to at least make a run there I think towards the end um, a 15 and 0 run, I think, to sort of close out the half. And, um, but, but the Simber Wolves came back out backing. And so it's just pretty much this tug of war almost. I think that's what makes it most confusing when you think about the game and what really happened. It was mm-hmm. really a sort of power struggle just, right. just, and just it, watching it. It was, it was like, I think mental toughness. Yeah. And then, and then I think like after a while, like um, the Wolves expanded so much energy. Mm-hmm. That they were tired at the end. Yep. And then it's just like the Grizzlies just like just turned it on in the fourth quarter. Yep. 
I mean, and, and then it's just like Taylor Jenkins was so calm. He was As so always. calm. You know, sometimes you, you can see when he's upset, but he was so calm. He was just sitting there, this, that, and the other. He let them play through it. And then mm-hmm. every time Rob Fisher would come back on and say, well, well, before they, you know, went um, into the fourth quarter, he said that, Jenkins said, just tell them, you know, I like what you're doing or whatever. Just keep chipping away. Just keep chipping away. Next thing you know, them folks done chipped away. They done tied the game. They got the lead and then they win. You're right. And then it's just like when they asked him when he came out there, like, how do you guys win is when? Win the game. I mean, he he like he didn't really know. In his defense, none of us did. Yeah, nobody knows. <laughs> nobody knows. I don't think they know. Right. It's just like all, you know, everybody just like, I mean, and then it's just like that was just to see the fans there, they were so deflated. Mm-hmm. they just sat there and look and then like you know it's just like Grizzly fan know that feeling you know when it happened you know with the Clippers when they mm-hmm. you know had but to come back down like more than 25 points twice in the same game who does that nobody well the Memphis Grizzlies obviously but we are one of a kind but I think you made a great point too about just how the the energy I think they came out with so much energy at first that they just kind of, they, they lost it. They didn't have any legs at the end. I mean, they were one from 11 from three and three from 19 from the field. They just didn't have it uh, by the time the fourth quarter came around and the Grizzlies were able to just kind of take advantage of it. And then how, how you score 39 points in the first quarter, 12 in the second quarter. Um, I forget how many it was in the third. I think it was 30. Two, 32 is what so I want to say. 32 or 33. Mm-hmm. So, 30, 32. Yep, 32. 32 in the third. And then 12, 12 points in the fourth quarter. And I'm like, and then you didn't even, you didn't even tap into 100 points. And then the coach, I'm like, he, he was on the sideline looking lost and dazed and confused to me. He had to be. He had to be paralyzed because he just—he was so paralyzed he couldn't call a timeout. Obviously, I'm just like, and then like you—you you let your team go, let the other team go on a 21 and 0 run, and you didn't call a timeout ever. Yeah. <laughs> and then because like Pete and Brevin surely thought he was gonna call a timeout because you know I was watching um you know Valley Sports Southeast mm-hmm. coverage. I I wasn't watching TNT. Okay. Um, I was watching, and they was kept saying. You know, you know, he's gonna call a timeout. I mean, it just went on and on and on. I'm like, wow. And then he said, you know, after the game, they said that he said that he had he he used too many timeouts um, in the first half. He still had timeouts left when they lost. Yeah, you don't get to take them home with you. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's just like wow. So how how do you think? Um. Things are going to happen for game four. That's the that's the question. Um, I saw it recently they were they were asking Taylor Jenkins. Was it today that they asked him yeah, about yeah, the we, lineup? Well, yeah, we had uh, they had an impromptu uh, media availability today at two p.m. Central, and um, Taylor Jenkins said that he still is tinkering with the lineup. 
he really don't know who's going to start or whatever. He's still, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what's going to happen, you know, based on matchup and everything. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Kyle Anderson was the first one who uh, was interviewed. And I know Kyle said that, like, game three or whatever, um, they just need to just forget about it. It's going to be hard because you just don't know which Timberwolves team is going to come out. Right. You can't get too high. You can't get too low. And then Jenkins still said that even though they won, they still didn't play to their standards because they cannot come out flat against the Wolves. You know what right. I'm saying? They can't come in there and thinking that, well, if we get down, we're going to get up again. They just need to come out and just be on their necks or whatever. They need to learn from that game. You got to do what you need to do. You know, yep. but but the good thing about it is you'd rather be like Brevin and people saying, you'd rather be down down like that early rather than late. Exactly. But, e but either way, they still came back, but you just don't want to be down like that. It's just like, you just want to, because like when the Grizzlies were coming back, coming back or whatever, they were deflated. Uh, Minnesota was deflated. So you're yep. going to have to deflate them early and keep right. pounding on them. Like game two. Right. Like game two, they uh, you could sort of tell the Minnesota Timberwolves had just sort of by third quarter, I mean, they were done. They were just kind of ready to go home. It was right. going through motions. They didn't have any fight left in them. And that's exactly what you want, um, especially on their home floor, so you can keep the crowd out of it too. Right. So they just need to go in there and then it's just like, yeah, you won game, you know, like, yeah, you won game three, but game, game four is going to be most important because you don't want to give them the confidence that they still in the seat. You gotta go go there on the home court and bounce on their necks. Right. Yeah. So what, exactly. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think exactly what you said. I, I think it is how this game will play out will be extremely interesting because even in the and it may just be the impression I get, but even just from the quotes I've seen from the media availability, Taylor Jenkins is still sort of in a Seems like he's in a fog trying to figure figure things through. He didn't, I mean, when they asked him about how did they win the game, he didn't know. And it's understandable completely, so that's not a criticism, really. But it just makes me wonder how they'll be able to respond in game four when they really need to come out and be the aggressor. Okay, um, but, but that's what he's saying. And then he said that they didn't play up to their standards, and he said that they're still pissed that they lost game one. So he wanted them to come in that mindset, come in there with that mindset, you still got work to do. Yeah. Even though you want you looked up in one game two, you still got work to do. Play like you did in game. I mean, you won game three, play like you did in game two. Right. You can't right. come out and do that because it's just like it seemed like it was a reviving door, you know, with them from game one to game three. But they end up winning, you know, with luck or whatever. That's just like just go ahead and say it. That was lucky. It was. You know, yeah, it, but it was, it was, a, it was an epic collapse by the Timberwolves. I mean, right. The, it, it, it was proportions but, but it's just like you know it's just like he still wants them to play up to the standards and play grizzlies basketball right right which they did not and so if it were me i wouldn't focus as much on the starting lineup i, th I think the kyle anderson starting lineup was fine because if you if you sub in brandon clark for kyle anderson i think your bench suffers in terms mm -hmm. of point production and that will concern me a little bit um and even though they struggled when they started Cal Anderson, I don't think that was because they started Cal Anderson. They just couldn't make any shots. They were right. It wasn't was seven because of, of twenty four. 
yeah, it wasn't because of that. And then it just like Minnesota basically took the pain away from you. Right. And right. They, they settled for threes. And of course, Jaron in foul trouble. So that, right. that didn't help anything. But it seems to be a reoccurring theme. But um, I, so for that reason, I don't see a reason to go away from it. I mean, if they force you, great. But at the end, Brandon Clark played more minutes anyway. So if, if, it, if you start Kyle Anderson and ultimately you end up Brandon Clark plays more minutes where you start him in the second half, then so be it. Mm-hmm. You just you follow the game. You take, take what they give you. But to just fix something for the sake of tinkering with it, I, I wouldn't worry about that. I would focus more on how can we get the players in the best positions to get their mm-hmm. shots up? Because I when it comes to the offense, you could see a stark difference in production without Steven Adams. The mm-hmm. reality is his screen assist, his uh, facilitation, his actual assist was was critical for the production of John Morant, for mm-hmm. uh, Desmond Bain, I know. And Desmond, he was able to get going in this game, but it was hard. He sort of had to learn how to create his own offense a little bit more. And that was tough, given the defensive looks that the Timberwolves were giving them. So I think coaching-wise, that's probably the emphasis. How can we get – how can we counter their defense to get the offense in the best positions? Because I think it's just a matter of the looks they get mm-hmm. – um, I'd say they they have earlier, I think game one and game two, I think they had open looks that just didn't go down or good looks that just didn't go down. I can't say that about game three. Game three, I didn't I didn't see a whole lot of opportunities. But they see, like when they but when they started out, like when they did settle for some of the threes, mm-hmm. it's the fact that some of those were, were wide open threes they some, yeah. should should have made because like some the ones like when Jaron and I think Bang, they weren't even like really contested all that much where they probably should have made them, but that's neither yes. here or there. And then it's just like the Timberwolves really took the paint away from it. And then that they didn't, you know, try. And then like, I think they started going into the paint. I think when Xavier Tillman um, came in, but he's been playing really good, you know, off of Carl Anthony Towns, because like, like I said, Towns, he killed uh, Steven Adams. They, I mean, he, him and Anthony El- Edwards killed Stephen Adams in game one. Right. Killed him. And that's, why, and that's why they needed to make that adjustment because, like, in game two, when Stephen Adams went on the floor, he fouled, he had them two early fouls, and then, like, they took him out of game and played less than three minutes. Er, you know, the, the other guys came in, and, you know, the game went on from there. But right. – Oh, you was going to make another thought before I came back. I want to come back to something else about Jaren. Well, uh, I have a couple questions. Actually, well, well, not a question. One, I do want to clarify the Stephen Adams decision not to play him. That was a wise decision. So even though they missed his offense, his defense was atrocious. It just mm-hmm. wasn't, we, we weren't going to be able to win like that. So it was still a good decision uh, or the best decision. And, and I, wanted, I wanted your opinion on the mid-range game. I haven't seen that much of it. It is that just because the defense is taking away? Sort of, what's your opinion? Is that, that to me, that's an area that I think they could probably try to take advantage of. It seems like in these games, at least that's just me, that it's either been trying to get it going from three or trying to get it going in the paint. And I haven't seen a lot of the middle try to be used at all. The only person who's really good in the middle with the mid-range is Dylan Brooks. And, you know, he had a bad offense tonight. Yeah, it's true. but he he was good. He was good when it counted, but you know, right? He was four four seeing, and he's like really the only one because it's just like that bread and butter is in the paint, and you know with the three ball. But 
Dylan Brooks is the only one that has, you know, a good mid-range. Because that's why, you know, sometimes I have four offenses not good. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And Dylan Brooks is a big part of that. I'd actually say his performance in in game three was most disappointing to me. I because I thought, you know, he had a rough deep offensive game mm-hmm. last time and he generally plays pretty well in Minnesota mm-hmm. and then some of the you know Dylan kind of got tunnel vision sometimes sometimes I think he could he could have passed out uh, right he, or somebody else and so mm-hmm. he just didn't even get the best looks on top of the looks he took just not the open ones that he actually got just not yeah. hitting them so that was that was most disappointing I think I expected I I, I know well Jai had a lot of turnovers I didn't expect that but I know they're going to play Jai tough. I know he's going to get a lot of the defensive attention. I know Jaron Jackson at this point in this series seems to be consistently getting in foul trouble. We like to be optimistic and say. Okay, but here's the thing. Okay, so like with Jaron, some of the fouls I don't think they were calling fair because of the situation where Carl Anthony Town was doing stuff to him, but they only saw what Jaron, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because like when Jaron got got that – Fifth foul when he came in because like Jaron, when you look at his minutes, he played twenty one minutes, and it's just like him and you know Towns was you know going at it or whatever. The same foul that they called Jaron on, <laughs> they called Carl Anthony Towns on because he was doing um, Brandon Clark the same way. Right, right. So and I'm just trying to figure out. It's just like I, I don't understand because some of them calls like. With y'all, you know, I don't want to be complaining about the rafts or whatever, but it's just like sometimes they wouldn't call them it straight, you know, on, you know, if it's a foul on one end, why is it not a foul on the other? I, I 100% agree with you. And that's been consistent throughout the whole series. I, I could say that about pretty much every game mm-hmm. that there was just inconsistent calls. It, you know, one end it's fine and on the other end it's not. And, you know, apparently in the playoffs, we lead the league in free throws. So I guess ultimately mm-hmm. we still, quote unquote, get the calls for our, our way. But because of the inconsistencies, I, I think it's been at a huge disadvantage to Jaron in particular, because he hasn't known how to how to play off of the refs. Right, right. And then it's just like, because, you know, after he got that fifth foul, you know, Kyle Anderson had to calm him down. He really yeah. did. But when he did come in, you know, he was like good defensively because he still, you know, was blocking stuff. He ended up with six points, seven rebounds, two steals, and two blocks. Yeah. But he had those five fouls, and, you know, and then he didn't shoot well. He was only two of six. It'll never not frustrate me that Taylor Jenkins insists on never letting Jaron foul out. I think if he's ever going to learn how to play through fouls, he has to be allowed at some point to play through fouls. And at that point, that at the point he got the fifth foul, in the fourth quarter, I just don't know how much you had to lose <laughs> at that point. He was obviously exactly. having an impact on defense. He was obviously affecting the game uh, in a positive way. So it's not like he was out of, I mean, maybe he was out of rhythm, but he, he still made an impact, a positive impact on the team when he was on the court. So mm-hmm. if he fouls out, he fouls out. I don't understand what Taylor Jenkins thinks he's protecting Darren from. I think it hurts him from really being able to grow in that area. Yeah, let, let him foul out. Because, like, what's your keeping fouls for? Right. You don't – there's no strike against you for <laughs> – I don't understand. Right. I mean, I guess it's nice to say you fouled out, but you still have five fouls, so it's not like anybody's giving you a cookie because you had five instead of six. That's not how it works. So, anyway. Yeah, and, I, yeah but, but you know, it's just Jaron. He's going to have to do better. Right. Those, yeah. Some of the fouls were on him. Some of them were, but not all of them. 
Right. Right. Not all of them, but I just, I don't, I don't, I don't know. But it's just like, I don't, you know, just don't want the Grizzlies to get complacent because the Timberwolves got complacent in that game when they were up. They got mm-hmm. complacent. They really did. Yeah, and the did. Grizzlies don't, don't want to do that. They don't need to do that. But like I said, they need to come out and get on them next. That's, that's exactly what they need to do. Yep, and that's, that's what I hope they do because um, they need to. They need to come out with, to be honest, some offensive firepower for, for once in a game. Um, and I think they need to keep up. Defense uh, could have been better in spurts, obviously, but I think, you know, those are just some minor tweaks more than anything. Uh, and I think it might have been more mental. I think defensive scheme-wise, I think what we did was fine. It just maybe locking in a little bit more, maybe being more aggressive. Like you said, they kind of came out flat. Mm-hmm. And so that was apparent and coming out, being the aggressor and having a better right. offensive game plan, maybe I think would some series up because me personally, the, the Timberwolves, they're, they're a tough team to play. They just are. They, they take cheap shots. They, they, you know, try to just do things to, I don't know, bully their way into certain, you know, throughout the game, just to sort of intimidate. I don't know if it's the Pat Bev effect or whatever, mm-hmm. but anyway, it's what they do. So the quicker they can wrap up this series, the better. Right. <laughs> Go ahead and knock it out in five games, count of your business and get some rest so they can recoup for the next opponent. Um, but they got to be able to, they got to be able to handle it. I, I could see it going either way, really, because of how strange that game was before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, with me, it's just like, I like how, you know, Taylor Jenkins, he stayed home and things to that nature. But I really like the fact that he put Tyus Jones in with Ja. Yes. And that helped Ja a whole lot. To have Tyus in there, but Tyus to control the tempo, control, and and Ja was off ball, things like that. That helped Ja out really well. So uh, I'm trying to figure out, is he going to do that again for game four or what? But I know he don't want to, you know, tell us a lot because he don't want the Timberwolves to know you know, because they're not going to give us everything, what they're going to do or whatever. But, but I, I think I, I think their focus still is to frustrate Carl Anthony Towns. They don't want to get him going. You right. know what I'm saying? Because it's just like you can have Beverly going. You can have Anthony Edwards going or whatever. But you just, just got you got to take somebody out the game. Right. And then and it's just like, a good job. Yeah. And then you just don't like I said, you, you just don't want them to give an inch where, where they think they can steal a game. Because you, you know, you got home court advantage back. You up, you know, two, one. It'd be good if you go up three, one. That's going to be good for you, good for the series or whatever. But you got to take care of business tomorrow. Yeah. You got to. Have to. So what no. are you thought? What are your thoughts about the Tyus Jones and John Moran? I think it's together? Yeah, I agree with you. I think they need to probably go toward more you you want to be careful because you want to make sure you it doesn't get you defensively I think timing wise when Tyus Jones came back into the game to play alongside John in the fourth quarter the Minnesota Timberwolves were already gassed you know I mentioned I felt like they already had they were just exhausted they just didn't mm-hmm. have the legs under them and that sort of played a part the only downside to the Jai Tyus lineup is defensively um it's sort of a liability but mm-hmm. um I think it's worth a shot and another thing that I mentioned and it uh, I mentioned this on the Sports Ethos podcast that I think they should probably try 
is the uh, I would substitute DeAnthony Melton for Conchar those minutes. That's, um, uh, that's what I wrote in uh, my article for basketballnews.com. Yeah, I think that they need to have John Conchar because he brings so much energy and mm-hmm. things of that nature. Melton is not having it right now. I think he needs to, yeah, he needs to substitute John because John Conchar, he's going to hustle and he's going to get them rebounds. Exactly. Exactly. He's going to hustle and you need that. Exactly. He's going to get them rebounds. He really, he really is. But you know, um, they, I mean, it's just like you thought they were going to suffer a lot, you know, with rebounding. They um, out rebounded on Minnesota 48 to 41. And yeah. they had 13 to nine offensive rebounds, and they have 23 to 18 second chance points. Yeah. So it didn't suffer, you know, a whole lot. Right. But what? I'm thinking that he needs to, like I said, I've been advocating for John Punchar to get in the game for a minute. I'm with you. I'm, I'm 100% with you. Just because DeAnthony Melton's not giving you anything right now. I, I talked about this earlier. I think DeAnthony Melton is a rhythm player and the circumstances kind of have to be right in order for him to really see best production. We've seen him whenever he's come off injury or his minutes change. He's just not as adaptable as other players might be. John Conchar is pretty much the definition of plug and play. You're going to get from him what you're going to get from him. You know you're going to get rebounding. You know you get hustle efforts. You know he'll get down and dirty. I mean, he had that 17 rebound game against the Minnesota Timberwolves. He did. And so the the energy he'll give you, and he might be able to knock down a three or two, which DeAnthony Melton also doesn't seem to do. And if he can't, then you don't lose anything because it's not like DeAnthony Melton's doing it right now. Uh, but he might be able to knock down some of those open shots that DeAnthony isn't. Mm-hmm. So that would be a huge boost, I think. I mean, it, well, it'd be maybe not a huge boost. That's probably over-exaggerating it. But I think it could be a subtle difference to make mm-hmm. to make the difference in a game that might be more competitive, more back and forth than the other games have been. So Dylan Brooks's question real quick. It's his left foot soreness. I think Dylan's gonna play. I mean, because like usually when they say questionable, more yeah. than like if Dylan if Dylan can go, he's gonna go. Right. Because it's it's gonna be, you know, it's it's an important game. But it's just like it's just like I said, you just don't want them to be complacent. Right. So if Grizzly happens to do win the game on tomorrow. What do you think is going to be like Tuesday at the FedEx Forum? Atmosphere wise or, or outcome wise? At- atmosphere wise and outcome wise. Atmosphere wise, I think it's going to be probably the best it's ever been. Game, game I was at uh, game two and it was electric being, being there. And I think it'll be even more so just because that will be the opportunity to go ahead and close out the series. Mm-hmm. And so the energy is going to be high. I think it'll be hard to, harder to get the crowd out, no matter the outcome, just because the crowd may be more into it just to encourage them to go ahead and, mm-hmm. you know, handle, take care of business. So, but outcome wise, if it gets to three, one, the series is over. Right. I, I think because I don't think the Timberwolves have the mental fortitude. We've always, we've, Cat has always been questioned about his mental uh, or his mentality. D'Lo has been inconsistent. Anthony Edwards is a rookie and he's sort of impressionable. And I don't think he'll have, I think he has the, the he's, ability. He's, he's not a rookie. He's a two-year. Two oh, that's right. He's a second year. Yeah, yeah. But um, that's right. Thank you. But he, he still doesn't have, he's still young. He's impressionable. He doesn't mm-hmm. have that fortitude. And if everybody else on the team is sort of, yeah, it's 
defeated, I think he'll sort of go with that. Now, Pat Bev is sort of his, I think Pat Bev's influence has been good for him and giving him a mental edge, but I don't know if him by himself will be enough for them to break out a win at the FedEx Forum in that atmosphere. I don't think so. Grizz and Fox. Yeah, so the Grizzlies, they really need to uh, come out and do what they need to do in game four. Game four, because yep. you don't want to give them, you just don't, you want to keep the Timberwolves deflated. You right. don't, you want to keep it. And then, like, their post game comments, oh my God. I the Timberwolves? Yeah, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I don't understand. Yeah, well, at least he enjoyed, at least Kat enjoyed the wine. He said he was going to well, go home and drink some wine. Hopefully he enjoyed that. Man, he probably should have had some uh, dark brown liquor. That's what I was um, thinking. I was like, you going to have some wine after this kind of game? But okay. Yeah. <laughs> Look, you 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 uh, drink the wine to relax. Right. But, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> this speaks to the mindset. <laughs> like you said. Yeah, it <laughs> speaks really to the does. mindset on a lot of levels. Uh, but I think that it's a real, the one advantage of the situation, not the one, the main advantage that the situation has given is it's hard for, for the Minnesota Timberwolves to sort of get themselves back up to that same level of energy because they've been pushed down a couple of times before and, and lost the game and they gave it their best shot. So if you're the Memphis Grizzlies, you want to take advantage of that momentum and ride that and just end the series with it. If you let the Minnesota Wolves think they got a shot in this series, then you could go seven games easily. Right. This is a tough matchup. And I think the Grizzlies need to act like that, treat it as such. It's a tough matchup for them. That's just the way it is. You are, you're on a high momentum, take advantage, be aggressive, end it, finish it. You're the, the, the Grizzlies are the better team. Right. They, so need that, to, they need to act like it. Yeah, and that's why I put, you know, like my article, ain't no money in the end. Grizzlies look to maintain momentum on the road. This still yep. applies. It still applies. Even more so now. Right. But like, you know, it's just like it's a late game. We start at 9 p.m. Central. I'm, I'm like, worried about how, that. How many of us going to be able to stay up that whole time? We're I'm worried about that. You work, why, why are you worried about it? Because it's a late the, game. Yeah, the times tend to mess with the Grizzlies a little bit. Uh, late night game. You remember that game against Dallas where it was a late night tip? And now, granted, that also it wasn't just because it was a late night tip. That was a late night tip, and they played mm -hmm. what was it, five games in eight days, something like that, something crazy. They were playing back to backs to backs. That was part of it. But um, this other, this, when I think of the late night games this season or the late night tips, mm -hmm. the Grizzlies don't put on their best show. I don't know, really, when it's when it's they seem to play best at seven o'clock around seven thirty. Sometimes when the times I look quirky, even our two thirty tip off. Right on Saturday afternoon, they just came out. The energy was sort of different. The energy is always different. They, so it worries me a little bit. But from, from you know, some some of those West Coast games they did win. So yes, yeah, true. That's true. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully they'll get with it. Um, they it's not really a reason for them not to have energy, but you know, it's just something back on mind that I'm concerned about. But they need to just handle their business. It, the the table is set in front of them. Yeah, it, it, yeah it, it really is it's just like they and they need to capitalize they need to capitalize because golden state is about to uh sweep the denver yeah, yeah. i said it 
Um, Golden, yeah, I said <laughs> Golden State is about to sweep Denver. And then it's just like, you don't want to be battle and bruised, you know, mm-hmm. while they're getting all that rest. Exactly. That's exactly my thoughts. And we'll see. We'll see. But I, I, I think they're capable. So, you know, John typically when he has a bad game, he comes back out and he bounces back. That encourages me. I think mm-hmm. that's an encouraging sign. Dylan Brooks, I don't know, especially with his foot, I don't know if he'll come really bounce back from this game or not. Maybe that was affecting him in the game before at some point and Mm -hmm. had something to do with his performance. But, and I think Desmond Bank, also he plays great on the road. I think he'll have another good showing for us. And worst case scenario, we know we can try that lineup with Tyus and Ja together because they're going to put a lot of attention on Ja like they did before. And so we might need Tyus to be sort of that relief valve, if you will, uh, for the team. So, and Brandon Clark. uh, He's been playing playing out of his mind yeah he's been playing he's he's a monster he's a real problem for that team right. he's been a true answer and and uh, we just need we need jaron jackson jr to not foul and then we right. need him to make his shots at the rim and stop exactly. selling for threes we just need him to just be you know be the jaron that we know he's capable of being right right and xavier tillman i mean he played um he he's played phenomenal game yes, too. He's, he's been playing well um yeah. But I think he could take his up a, a little bit, a little bit now. Part of it was he didn't have the same, you know, minute same run just because Brandon Clark was playing so yeah. he was so dominant in that game. So, uh, but I think there are there are opportunities for other Ben Zaire. I think could could contribute a little bit more if he maybe had some had some more run or. So I just yeah. think even if they, Dylan Brooks they, doesn't have yeah, it, yeah, because like Zaire, like the bench, like they perform like so good mm-hmm. in game um, two, right. Yeah, the benches was the reason why they won game two. Right. So I think if just a few more players just kind of elevate their game, they're due for it. I don't think it's going to take that that much. We just need two or three other people to kind of step up and finish this thing. Uh, we got to we're cohesive enough as a group. We got the chemistry. We got obviously we have the fortitude. And so with that, I, I'm overall encouraged. I think my in my heart of hearts, I think they're going to go ahead and take care of business and win this game. That's how I think this goes. Mm-hmm. And sure, you can have some concerns, but I just think that this team has been through too much at this point to let this opportunity uh, fall underneath the table. And I uh, I hope they prove me right. So, prediction, Grizz and five still? Grizz. Yeah, Grizz and five. My, my original prediction was Grizz and six, but just with the way that last game went, it, it 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 actually it's got me switching up a little bit. I think I think Grizz and Five. All righty, with that note, I will talk to you soon. So I'm gonna have to have have you back on. I really enjoy talking to you and everything. Absolutely, same. Thank you so much for having me on. All right, thank you. Holla. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks 
That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.